we're going to continue today a sermon series I'm calling Discipleship Matters. Discipleship Matters. And if you have missed the previous two weeks, allow me just to say that discipleship is important because discipline is important. Discipline is important. You know, I feel very comfortable to give this example. Discipline is, is important because if you want to lose weight, it requires discipline. In my personal experience, nothing requires more discipline than losing weight. I find it far easier to follow Jesus through the fires of hell than to say no to a donut. And that's what discipleship really is. It's, it's about discipline. It's about saying no to certain things and yes to other things, to sacrificing for the right things. And so let us go again to the book of Luke, where we have read the last two weeks, simply who these first 12 disciples were. Luke 6 and verse 12, it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray, and he continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose twelve, whom also he named apostles, Simon, whom he also named Peter, Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called Zelotes, and Judas the brother of James, and Judas Iscariot, which also was the traitor. We've gone through six of the disciples so far, and today we're actually going to go through four, not another three. And our subtitle today is going to be Emotions. Would you bow your heads and ask the Lord's blessing one more time upon the remainder of this service? Heavenly Father, I stand in need, O oh God, of you. We all stand in need of your word, of your anointing. I pray, O oh God, that you would be in control here today, that the word spoken would be from on high, would be from heaven, that they would inspire and motivate and help and nurture and minister, O oh God, to people's hearts. Help me, O oh God, I pray, to deliver what is on my heart, and what I believe, O oh Lord, you've moved me to speak on. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. A disciple, a learner, a pupil, one who is disciplined. But again, I've asked each week, to what end? To what end? If we discipline our diet, it is to the end that we would be in better shape to be healthier, to be equipped for physical activity. If we discipline our minds to study, to what end is that done? To the end that we would be knowledgeable, maybe even wise, but that we would have answers for certain questions that others would not have. But when we, of course, discipline our life, our spirit, our soul, to the service of Christ... It is that we might have life everlasting. If you want to be called a Christian, love God and love people. That's very popular these days, that, that phrase. And it's, it's for good reason. I have nothing to say against it. Love God and love people. But I would add to that today... If you want to be a disciple in, in as much as if you want to minister, serve God by serving his people. Serve God by serving his people. That is a step above, right? Anyone could have been called a disciple of Christ 
if they had believed in him in that day. But the Bible says he called unto him twelve. They were ministers. They he also named apostles, those who are sent. And of those twelve, then, he had confidants even closer, a circle of three. So first up today, we have Bartholomew, also known as Nathaniel. You know, we've got several of these disciples that have more than one name they go by. And isn't it funny how they're not seemingly related names? I mean, how do you get Nathaniel from Bartholomew or Bartholomew from Nathaniel? It's interesting somehow the tradition that uh, people were known by different names. Perhaps it had a deeper meaning, you know. It wasn't that they were known as Daniel or Dan, as sometimes I am. It was Bartholomew or Nathaniel. And one of them had four names, right? Jude, Labius, Thaddeus. I mean, what's up with this identity crisis that these people have? But whatever they were named, whatever they were known by, prior to meeting Christ, they were known thereafter as disciples and apostles and Christians. Bartholomew in the reckoning of the twelve, was the humble critic. Anybody have critical friends? Raise your hand. Shout amen. amen. Any of you in the circle of friends you have, are you the critical person? I won't ask you to shout amen. But I suppose from one degree or another, every once in a while we have something critical to say. And criticism can be very constructive if it is given in a wise way at the right time. Amen? But a critical voice at the wrong time with the wrong words, even with the true message, can be so ill-received that it does everything opposite of what it was intended to do. And I would have to admit, I probably have done that many, many times to people I like and love and, and appreciate, and I say it the wrong way at the wrong time because I think I'm all clever with my sarcasm. Amen? But it's ill-received because it's, it's the wrong way to say it. Bartholomew was a critic, but he was humble in his criticism. His... Biblical account really is captured in just one, one story of Scripture at the beginning of Christ's ministry when he's calling the twelve in first, or I'm sorry, in John chapter one. The Bible says that Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. We have found the Messiah. It is Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael looked up in Philip and said these wonderfully encouraging words, mirroring back the great news that had been delivered to him. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathaniel, did you hear what I just said? This is your friend. It's your buddy, Philip. We found the Messiah. Yeah, but you said he was from Nazareth. Prejudice has been around for a long time. Prejudice of many stripes, many kinds, has been around for a very, very long time. And folks, it's going to be here until the end. Amen? Nathaniel, speaking of Jesus whom he had not yet met, was talking about his own countrymen, right? Talking about another Jew. But even within groups, we have subgroups. And just as we here in this very sophisticated and cosmopolitan Cleveland area, when we hear about people talk about those from West Virginia... 
All of a sudden, all we can see is a yard with a trailer in it, a car with wheels, I'm sorry, a house with wheels and four cars that don't have any. Or whatever funny cliche you would have to mention today. You know, years ago, a long time ago, there was a, a conflict, a, a, a feud, if you will, between those on Ohio's side and West Virginia's side down there, the river, and those in West Virginia got themselves a box of dynamite. They were grabbing those sticks and chucking them across the river at the Ohioans. And you know what the Ohioans did? They picked those sticks of dynamite up, lit them, and threw them back. <laughs> silly. Just silly. Sometimes there's reason for prejudice, but most of the time we take it a bit far, don't we? Nathaniel hears that the Messiah has arrived and his skepticism, his criticism comes to the surface. Maybe he had a good reason to say that and to think that. Maybe he, you know, being probably one of the older disciples, having lived a bit more life, had thought to himself, you know, I've, I've been through Nazareth. If I can say it this way for our, our modern day, I've been through Detroit I've, I've been there. Is anything good come out of there? Well, where men are involved, many things are impossible. But with God, nothing is impossible. Amen? So Philip simply says to him, all right, all right, just, just come and see. Just come and see, Nathaniel. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite. Indeed, in whom is no deceit, or in the King James, in whom is no guile. When he had his biased comment, he wasn't trying to deceive anyone. He wasn't trying to lead anyone astray. Can anything good come from Nazareth? But Jesus, looking at his heart, passed, passed rough words, passed biased words. He said, I see you, Nathaniel, and I see your heart. I know you're a bit critical, but you're real. You're trying to be honest. You're trying to live in the real world. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And folks, those words were enough for Nathanael to follow Jesus from there all the way past Calvary, and all the way to his own martyrdom. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you see how powerful his conversion was, that just with these words, I saw you under the fig tree. Nathanael automatically, immediately recognized him as a teacher, as a master, as someone to follow. Rabbi, you are the son of of God, you are the king of Israel. Yes. You know, there's room in the kingdom of God for critical people. Now, I, I will say there's a limit to how much criticism I want to hear. But, folks, there's, there's room for, for critical people in the kingdom. There's room... Uh, close to Jesus for critical people. But have the right attitude when you're being critical. Be humble about it. Be ready to submit to Jesus when the word comes, uh, when the instruction comes from on high. Be humble enough to say, I was wrong about my criticism. Bartholomew, Nathaniel, he ministered in India and Armenia and he likely died by being flayed alive. How powerful was his conversion? I saw you under the fig tree. Persuaded and convinced to the point. 
Well, of course, I don't want to give a gruesome description, but being flayed alive, it's what you do to a fish after you catch it, folks. Being flayed alive. And then other, other accounts say after being flayed alive, they chopped his head off and put him on a cross upside down. Thomas, known to most as Doubting Thomas, but today I'll call him the mopey pessimist. Yeah, we don't like to be around the critics too much, but if there's anything that personally I don't enjoy being around for very long, it's mopey people, negative people. I'm bad. It's bad. It's bad. It's really, really bad. It's really bad out there. Life's really, really tough. And you tell the person, you need to be more positive. And as Bishop has always told us, they say back, what? I'm positive it's really, really bad. I'm positive it's really, really bad out there. Mopey pessimism. Can we ever get over our doubts? Can we ever get over our fears? Can we ever get over the reasons not to do what we ought to do? Thomas, with the twelve speaking with Jesus in the book of John, the Bible says, Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Our friend Lazarus is dead. Our buddy, our compatriot, our favorite, our favorite family to visit, Lazarus is dead. There's no more meaning in life, no more purpose in life. Let us go with him and die also. Hey, Thomas, you're with Jesus. You know, it is an uh, amazing thing. Whatever age you are, it's a varying age when this happens in life. When, when someone close to you dies for the first time, you learn a hard lesson, and that is the world does not stop. You desperately need it to just pause for a little bit. You've got to... You've you got to take care of some things, and, and you're going to get behind real, real quick, and, and everyone's going to pass you by while you're stopping to take care of this thing. It, it, it's a hard and, and cruel lesson. And so perhaps we really identify with Thomas in that. My friend is dead. The world is not going to stop. I wish I was dead also. But Thomas, don't you realize you are with Jesus, the one who can raise the dead back to life. If he did know, perhaps he forgot. If he did know, perhaps he thought Jesus wouldn't. If he did, mopey pessimism. I said there's room in the kingdom for critical people. Well, to my chagrin, there's still room for mopey pessimists too. I just hope once in a while you can find something to smile about, something to joke about, something to be happy about. And can I give you a hint as to what it might be? Jesus Christ, our hope of tomorrow. Jesus Christ, the one who saved us. Thomas, you're with Jesus. Won't you remember that? In John 14, and where I go... You know, Jesus speaking again to his disciples. And the way you know, and Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. And how can we know the way? Mopey pessimism. Oh, he's the Debbie Downer of the group, isn't he? Jesus building everyone's faith. I go to prepare a way for you. I, you know the way. I... I Jesus, we don't know the way. Wah, wah, wah. Bringing everyone down. But you know, his pessimism in this moment 
gives way for Jesus to give us one of these great scriptures that we quote over and over and over again. Thomas, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Amen. If you know me, you know the way. You know the truth. Stand on me, Thomas. And be, and be happy about it. Some of us Christians, disciples, if we're going to share the gospel with other people, we'll get a lot better results if we learn how to smile. Why would anyone want to follow you if you're so pessimistic? Find a reason. And folks, you've got the reason. Smile because you know him. In John 20, now Thomas called the twin one of the twelve. He was not with the others when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, of course, where they pierced him, I will not believe. And here he's witnessed three and a half years of miracles and three and a half years of wonders. And he knows that Jesus has taught about this very thing over and over and over again, faith or belief. And he was there when the man said to Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. But unless I touch his nail-scarred hands, I will not believe. Some people just absolutely love to hold on to their depression more than they love to hold on to hope. Can I tell someone here today, Jesus is all about delivering you from depression. Now, now you might need a little counseling every once in a while. Who, who doesn't need an encouraging word? You might even need for a minute to go take a, a Xanax. Well, I'm not here to preach against that, but I am going to preach that that will not cure your depression. But Jesus can move in in a moment and sweep it all away. Yes. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside. Eight days. Eight days. Jesus let Thomas out there wiggling like a worm, holding on to all his doubt and depression. And Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. This story, some believe that Jesus walked through the door while the door was still shut because the scripture makes note that the door was shut, or perhaps he was translocated and just poof, appeared after his resurrection. Whether he came through the wall, through the door, or just appeared, matters not, he certainly got Thomas's attention. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here. Look at my hands. Reach your hand here. Put it to my side. I heard what you said, Thomas. I heard you said you wouldn't believe. Do not be unbelieving. Be believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Where Nathaniel, being seasoned and wise in his criticism, was able to kind of Walk through life without that emotional baggage. Thomas seemed laden with it everywhere he went. But he reached the point once he touched his hands and he touched his side. He could say nothing but my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Why am I living a Christian life? Because Jesus is my Lord and my God. He's my Savior. He's my everything. He's my all in all. Yeah, I might be the mopey pessimist. I might see all the things that are wrong. I might be overwhelmed by it. But my hope is in Jesus Christ, my Lord and my God. Thomas went on to minister in the land of India where he was martyred with spears run through with many. 
James. One of the inner three. One of the inner circle. The disciple's disciple. The one that could bend Jesus' ear more than many of the others. Known as one of the sons of thunder. James was a serious and fanatic defender of Jesus Christ. An early follower of Jesus and a die-hard adherent to him. That inner circle of Peter, James, and John, there were a few times when Jesus said, come and all 12 of you, but, but you nine, you stay there, and you three, you follow me a little bit closer. Three times, specifically, Scripture mentions this happening. First, when Jesus raises Jairus' daughter from the dead. You'll remember that she was dead, and, 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 and they didn't know it, those who had come to Jesus. Will you, will you come? And on their journey to the house, they were informed, you know, it's too late. It's too late. But Jesus coming in the house said, don't worry about it. She's not dead. She's just asleep. And the professional mourners, it's hard for us to imagine that in these days, but they hired people to cry and to weep and to be sorrowful when someone would die. The professional mourners quickly turned from, from frowning and from tears to laughter and scorn at Jesus Christ. And what did Jesus do? He said, get all this doubt out of the room. Get all, get all this doubt out of the room. Take all these phonies out of here. Get, get all this facade out of here. And Peter, James, and John, and Cheris, and the family got to see Jesus say, get on up, my child. That's a powerful encounter, isn't it? And when Peter, James, and John went back to the nine. And they were just like, I don't, I don't know what happened, guys. I don't, know, I, don't, I don't know what happened. She was dead, sure as the world. She wasn't breathing. She was pale. All life was gone. And he just said, get on up. And she got on up. I wonder if Thomas in that moment with all his movie pessimism was like, come on, guys. Come on. Maybe why he was ready to commit suicide when Lazarus died. I don't know. But he was called aside, James was called aside again with Peter and John at the Mount of Transfiguration. Boy, if there was ever a, a time you would have wanted to be witnessing what Jesus was doing, it might have been the Mount of Transfiguration or what we call the Mount of Transfiguration. No one else around, just Peter, James, and John. And all of a sudden, Jesus takes a step, but he doesn't step on the ground. He steps on the air, and he takes another, and he starts to float, and, and poof, next to him, comes Moses and comes Elijah, and he just starts to talk like they're old friends. Kind of just ignoring Peter, James, and John, but they get to witness it. They get to see it. And how are you going to deliver this message to the other nine when you get back to the, to the other? How are you going to even describe what is happening? And then one last time, Scripture mentioning that in the Garden of Gethsemane, in his last day, after the Last Supper, they come to the garden, and he calls the three farther, farther off to pray with him. Pray with me. You know, I, I love the Lord, but I need my sleep too. Can I hear an amen from anybody out there? Cherishes their sleep. I mean, it's the end of the day, Jesus. We, we've, been, we've been doing what we got to do here. We've been, we've been following you. We've been serving you. We're here in Jerusalem. You've been saying a lot of crazy things that we don't understand exactly. And now you want us all through the night to pray with you. We're just like, we love you, but man, I'm tired. I'm, I need a timeout. And they got to witness him, if they could keep their eyes open long enough, to pray and to, to agonize in his prayer to the point the Bible says he sweated as, as if it was him bleeding great drops of blood. Jesus will call certain disciples a little closer for a little bit of a different type of ministry. 
You don't need to be jealous about that because he needs certain people to do certain things. And if you don't have enough, well, chutzpah, if you don't have enough gumption, if you don't have enough persuasion, you may not be the one for that job. James, after these great encounters, and specifically after the Mount of Transfiguration, when his mind is blown, I mean, he's got an experience now like Moses had when his face shone and no one could stare at him. He's feeling like he's floating on clouds because he just watched Jesus ascend into the air and talk to two guys that have been dead for thousands of years. They come down off the Mount of Transfiguration and go through Samaria. And he sends someone to the town and says, go find us a place to sleep. We're heading to Jerusalem, but we're going to go through Samaria. And when they come into the city... They say, he's, he's coming here again? Samaritans knew Jesus. Remember the woman at the well? Remember how he had blown their minds? Remember how he had worked miracles for them too? I said, oh, wow, that, that, that sounds great. You say, what? He, he, he's going to Jerusalem? Oh, well, we, we don't really like that because the Jews don't treat us very good. We don't really like that unless he's, unless he's going to stay a little while and, and give us what we want. And unless he's going to go somewhere else, we, we don't really, we, we ain't down with this. So the servant goes back and he tells Jesus and he tells the disciples, look, you still got a good rep, but they don't like that you're going to Jerusalem, you know. And you got to remember it in your mind. Here's Peter, James, and John still on that Holy Ghost high, feeling so good and so amazing. They just watched this transfiguration, right? And they hear that people are not going to welcome Jesus. Do you know what James and John do? They come to Jesus and they say, it's all right, Jesus. It's all right. You just, you just give us the word and we'll call down fire just like Elijah did on Mount Carmel. We'll kill them all. Whoa. I told you he was a serious and fanatic defender of Jesus. This may very well be why he called them the sons of thunder. And here, here all of us thought Peter was the one with the hot head. James is like, come on. Let me get him. I want to get him. I want to be the one. Come on, let me pull that trigger. Whew. Man, you think I'm hard to deal with. These guys are no joke. I mean, come on. All, all, all I want is people to realize that Sunday is time to come to church and come on time and let's be serious about it. And you, you got James and John are ready to kill everybody. Oh, I wish I had a witness right now. Hallelujah. I don't know if we could have endured the preaching of a guy like James. So serious about following the Lord. But he turned and he rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. The Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. So they went on to another village. But you know, I think that the sentiment we can appreciate because that sentiment is found in the song. It's an old song, but we still sing it today. You don't know like I know what the Lord has done for me. You don't know like I know how he set me. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what, what I've seen. I, I, I know that, that, that you know, it, it, it may seem just ordinary for you, but, but I have had an encounter with God that is indescribable and nothing you do and nothing you say can take it away from me. I will stand to my last breath and preach this message. You will not take away Jesus from me. You don't know like I know. 
James, that fiery preacher, ready to kill everybody. He ended up as the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And he was one of only two whose death is mentioned of the twelve, mentioned in Scripture in Acts 12, killed with a sword for the purposes of Herod's political leanings. In the fourth century, Eusebius of Caesarea quoted Clement of Alexandria about his death. It appears that the guard who brought him into court was so moved when he saw him testify that he confessed that he too was a Christian. That testimony you don't know like I know, it can move people. Don't undervalue what Jesus has done for you, Christian. Don't undervalue what Jesus is moving and, and, and doing in your life. Don't undervalue your trip to an old rugged cross. Don't undervalue his speaking into your life. Him showing you things, him speaking. Don't undervalue that. When the guard brought him down and brought him into the court and listened to him testify, he was so moved, he said, I too am a Christian. So they were both taken away together. And on the way, he asked James to forgive him. James thought for a moment, and then he said, I wish you peace, and kissed him. So both were beheaded at the same time. And I tell you, a problem, a problem with the modern-day Christians is not that we don't have enough fiery preachers. I don't think anyone heard me. Thank you, Brother Harold. I don't, I don't think anybody heard this. The, the, the problem that of the many problems that we have in this world, it's not... It's not that we, we have too many preachers preaching conviction. It's not that we have too many preachers preaching repentance. It's, it's not that we, we have too many preachers reminding people that they're nothing but sinners in the hands of an angry God. We have adopted moral messages. We have adopted a, 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 a painting over of hard truths that Peter, James, and John received from God. But we've whitewashed it to say, oh, well, you know, you can go to heaven your way and I can go to heaven my way. But that's not what Peter, James, and John believed. They had an encounter that was real and raw and they marched to their death with that message. America needs serious preachers, real preachers, fierce preachers, fanatical preachers that believe in the cross and believe in saving grace and believe that we are nothing really other than what Justin Edwards said, that is sinners. Hanging over a fiery pit. And the only thing that saves us is the hand of God, folks. The world gets awfully tense and awfully offended when we say, you're going to hell. You're not my judge. You're right, I'm not. It's just what the Bible says. We're all going to hell. But for the hands of a merciful Savior, who when I wanted to commit mass murder, James said, come on. Just like Elijah of old, we just saw him. Your old buddy Elijah, let us do it. We want that glory. Oh, you don't know what spirit you're I was ready to commit mass murder, and he forgave me, and he instructed me, and he brought me from a mighty long way. Peter. Simon. Small stone, but I name you Peter, large stone. And upon my rock I will build this church, not on Peter, but what he understood, what he knew. And what is it that he knew? That thou art the Son of God. Thou art the Son of God. Thou art the Son of God. Thou art the Christ. Bold and impulsive. Rash and vigorous. His own man, a man's man. The squeaky wheel. And what do squeaky wheels get? They get the oil. Because he got oil, he was able to give oil. Given the keys to the kingdom, delivering the gospel first to the Jews and then 
to the Samaritans, and then to the Gentiles. See, no one, upon no one was the Holy Ghost poured out until Peter got to preach. You mean the loud mouth? You mean the hot head? I just t- got finished telling you that America and the world needs more fiery preachers. It needs more serious, fanatical, fierce preachers, not less. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Here is his life. His nets were filled. He walked on the water. He's the one who cut off Malchus's ear. He rebuked Jesus for saying he would suffer and die. And then Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. And that was right after, in the same chapter, that he said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven, I give unto you the keys of the kingdom, you devil. Can I tell you, there's room in the kingdom for imperfect people. There's room in the kingdom for impulsive, rash people. There's room, certainly room in the kingdom for bold people that will stand up to defend Jesus and even try to cut people's heads off. Oh, yeah. Huh? Huh? Well, that's what he did. That's what he did. I'm I'm glad we got a huh. Jesus is praying, right? All through the night. Peter can't keep his eyes open, right? And then all of a sudden, the Roman soldiers come, and what what does Peter do? Well, he goes for his head, man. I don't think he was trying to conduct ear removal surgery. He was going for his head. Whoa! And he got his ear. I wish we were as persuaded of our testimony. Oh, I know it was wrong. I understand it was wrong. Jesus picked up Malchus' ear and said, Peter, stop it, man. Put Malchus' ear back on his head and healed him. But if we need anything in our our churches, it's boldness. It's people persuaded of the message. It's people willing to defend Jesus and protect the word of God and not let anybody take it away. Disillusioned only when he was physically separated from Christ. Boy, isn't that a lesson. You want to stay with him? Well, then stay with him. He was disillusioned not from what Christ did to him, but what he did to Christ. He wasn't disillusioned only at the separation, but he was disillusioned fully when he denied three times and that rooster crowed. What have I done? I have failed him completely. And he knew his God. He knew the stakes. He understood what was going on. He was so crushed even after witnessing Jesus, even after seeing him resurrected from the dead. At the end of the book of John, where do we find Peter? He went back to his old ways. He said, I I failed him. I let him down. Clearly, he's not going to choose me anymore. But there's Jesus on the seashore. Come and dine. Come on, come and dine. And Peter, bold, impulsive, rash, once he jumps right in the water, doesn't have time for the boat to come to shore, swims up there. Peter, do you love me? I know you failed. I I know you made a big mistake. Do you love me? Lord, I love you. Peter, Peter, do you love me? Jesus, I I love you. Peter, Peter, do you love me? You know I love you. Then feed my sheep. Peter got the great commission before anybody else did. That bold, rash, imperfect, clumsy, self-made man who denied Christ not once but three times 
He received the Great Commission, not once, but twice, and he got it before anybody else. I said it at the outset today, and I know I'm a little long, but endure with me just a little while longer. I'm coming to a close. I said it at the outset. If you want to be a Christian, if you want to be called Christian, love God and and love people. But if you really want to be his disciple, if you really want to be a minister, if you want to be a change agent, serve God by serving his people. Peter, feed my sheep. The call to a disciple, the call to really be a disciple, not just to walk around and tell everyone you're a Christian, the call to be a disciple. It's about discipline, right? That means you don't always do what you want to do. And if I can be real honest, I don't always want to preach. I don't always want to teach. I don't always want to tell people. But I do want to honor him. I do want to serve him. I'm very convicted about that in my life. I'm very struck to my heart when I think about there's a world of people going to hell. And they need someone bold enough and rash enough and impulsive enough to stand up and make themselves look like a fool. And say, it's, it's a serious thing. You've rejected the rock of ages. And give them an opportunity to say, what shall we do? And let it be said of every one of us like it was said of Peter. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Could we be bold enough to preach that message to people who don't believe, to people who have rejected him? Peter ministered in many places. Many places for probably over 30 years after Christ's death. And according to tradition, he was crucified upside down in Rome by his own request, saying that he was not worthy to be crucified like Jesus. Clement of Rome, an early church father who personally knew the apostles, wrote, in his letter, so let us take the noble example of our own generation through jealousy and envy. The greatest and most just pillars of the church were persecuted and came even unto death. Peter, through unjust envy, endured not one or two, but many labors. And at last, having delivered his testimony, he departed unto the place of glory due to him. You know, when you hear the account of tradition, the account of history that Peter was crucified upside down and he said these words, I'm not worthy to be crucified like Jesus, turn it upside down. You know, it may be very easy to imagine a vigorous and strong young man right, who is still ready for battle. But let us not do injury to the word of God on that seashore when he said, feed my sheep. They were talking amongst themselves after that encounter. Jesus telling Peter, you know, the devil has desired you, but I have prayed for you. And you will come to an age you won't even be able to help yourself. Someone else will have to dress you. Let us not let legend contradict the word of God. But I think it's safe to marry them together here. And when Peter said this, he was an old man. They may have not had wheelchairs at the time, but by whatever means, they brought him in. Couldn't dress himself, couldn't take care of himself. And he's there in judgment to be judged. I got nothing left to lose. It's time to go. You just crucified me upside down. 
and to the very end, bold and full of enough vigor to say, you don't scare me. I've had an encounter with Jesus. This world is not my home. Hey, Christian, this world is not our home. We're just a passing through. Our treasures, they're not here on earth. They're laid up. They're laid up in heaven. Our, our hope, it's not here on earth. It's, it, it's with him forevermore. The kingdom has room for more Peters. The kingdom has room for more imperfect people. The kingdom has room for people that make a lot of mistakes. That's what Peter was. A bold, self-made man that made lots of mistakes. Why would Jesus choose that one? Choose him. He gave him the keys to the kingdom. Would you stand with me as our musicians come? I want to say it one more time. Discipleship matters. These men, they all became leaders in their own right. But before they led others, they disciplined themselves. They submitted themselves. Some of them were critics. Some of them, some of them were overly emotional. Some of them were very obscure, as we talked about in the first week. Some of them were a little bit more rounded on the edges, and some of them were just powder kegs, just powder kegs like Peter, James, and John. Whatever your character, your personality, that's not how God is going to judge you for the kingdom. It's whether or not you can lay aside your impulsivity, whether you can lay aside your emotions, whether you can lay aside what you think is insurmountable about you. Lay it down and follow him. Lay it down and follow him. One more time. Lay it down. The emotions, the doubts, the pessimism, the criticism, the anger. And follow him. Would you raise your hands right now towards heaven? Begin to speak to the Lord. We're going to have a song. Let's reach out unto the Lord and talk to him for a moment. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. This whole world is going crazy. And sometimes I feel so alone. But I know there'll be a brighter day. And I
I've got joy, 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 God's exceeding joy, joy that's overflowing. Though sadness may endure for one night, joy comes in the morning. Joy, 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 God's exceeding joy, joy that's overflowing. trials and storms and the darkness I can't bear but your grace has brought me all I need and I know that joy will before us, Lord. Lord, these 12 apostles, Lord, that you have hand-chosen, Lord, as examples, Lord, for us, Lord, not just to learn your word, but to go out and take this joy to the world, to take this joy to a lost, dying generation that needs you. Lord, we pray right now that you give us a boldness, that you give us a desire, Lord Jesus, to see your kingdom grow, a boldness, Lord, to step forward into that position and lead and teach and comfort those that need you, that need your word, that need your love, but more importantly, need your salvation. Lord, I also ask that you'd be with us this week, that you'd protect us, Lord, that you'd keep your hands upon us, Lord, as we come back that next appointed time. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.